Hi, I'm Tiki Barber, co-founder of Thuzio. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast. We're bringing our past events back to life for you to enjoy. This episode, recorded in October 2018, features Pro Football Hall of Fame Writers Honor Roll member Ray Didinger's interview with former Philadelphia Eagles linebacker Jeremiah Trotter. Trot reflects on his experience with a grueling knee injury at the end of his college career that impacted his draft experience, how he rose up the ranks from a special teamer to an all-pro starter, and what it was like to play for head coach Andy Reid. Enjoy the interview. Trot, let me, uh, to start this thing off, let me take you all the way back um, to Hooks, Texas. Uh, and we've all become familiar for Trot's trademark, which was the, the axe man, the, uh, the chopping. And I know where that started, but I'll let you talk a little bit about where it started with your dad. Back, uh, back in Texas and how that all came to be? Well, uh, back in Hooks, Texas, come from very humble beginnings. Um, you know, a lot of hard work with my dad growing up chopping wood. So we would go out, for example, your dad would hire my dad to come out and chop down a tree. And, you know, he would load the kids up after school or during the summertime and we'd go down, go down and go to work, man. And um, <laughs> it was tough. It was a lot of work. I remember coming in on school days you know, not going to bed until 12, 1 o'clock at night because we was outside working. And, um, you know, we, we would have to do our homework on the school bus on the way home um, if I did homework. <laughs> Don't tell my kids that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was, you know, I remember getting calluses on my hands just from chopping wood, um, you know, my whole life. And um, those times at nighttime, my, my, my fist hand would be frozen together like this from chopping wood the whole time. And um, it's funny, this summer, I took my boys to Texas for like a month and a half to train at uh, Michael Johnson Performance Center. And a lot of the stuff they was doing was like the stuff I was doing growing up, you know, chopping down on the tire, you know, throwing these medicine balls. I was like, I was doing all this for free. Now I got paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was, um, you know, when I got to the league, um, you know, I was just trying to make a name for myself. And all of a sudden... And I make a Pro Bowl, and I see other guys in the NFL that are doing sack dances, and, you know, Dawkins has his, had his thing in us. You know, what you going to do when you make a big play? And uh, so I thought about my beginnings, and I wanted to do something that represented my dad and the hard work I had growing up. So I came up with the X-Man. It he, wasn't because I went to Stephen F. It's funny because I was a lumberjack growing up, and I went to, to the Stephen F. Austin State Lumberjacks, so. <laughs> that, that is ironic. The nickname, the nickname of their college was the Lumberjacks. Yeah. Um, I read an article about you, and this was, when you were, this was when you were drafted, when you first came in, that said that y- your dad didn't want you to play football in high school, that, uh, that he was reluctant to give you permission to because he thought you should, A, go to school, and B, work with him. Right. And the idea of that you don't have time to play football but finally, you convinced him to play. And I, I saw a quote, after he did let you play, he still didn't let you off of your work. And there was a quote from Trot's high school coach who said that we would drive Trot home from practice. And he said and his father would leave a light on for him with a pile of wood in the yard that had still had to be cut. True or false? It's true, 100% true. <laughs> um, 
So my sister and I, so my sister, she used to stay after and work on her game. I would stay after late. There was times coach would put my stuff outside because he's ready to go home. But I'm still out there practicing and, and track season. And two, you know, you didn't want to work when you get home. And my dad would go to church. But you get home and there's a note on the table. <laughs> hey, my dad said, chop up the pile of wood outside. <laughs> and my sister would leave a little smiley face like, ha, ha. <laughs> but um, you know what, man? In Texas, that taught me, you know, out there working my dad every day, talking about hard work. And when I started playing football and I, I finished college and, and, and got to the NFL, I'm like, you going to pay me to do this? To hit people? I mean, that's it. All I got to do is just work out and go hit people. And you're going to give me a check. Man, let's go. <laughs> now, how he was, now, he didn't play his whole high school career, but he played enough that he got interest from college. Is not surprising. Uh, and he wound up going to Stephen F. Austin. Uh, and I didn't. I thought that was a little strange that you went up to Stephen F. Austin, a player with your ability. But then I read the, st I read the story that you went there on a recruiting trip. And for those of you that know how recruiting works, when a recruit goes to the campus, he's given an escort. He's given somebody to show him around the campus. And very often, it's an attractive young lady. Uh, and so when Trot went to visit Stephen F. Austin for the first time, his... Uh, the, the, their nicknames were the Lumberjack Sweethearts. And the one that he was introduced to was Tammy, who trot, the, the famous quote that he said was, he said, I never believed in love at first sight until I saw Tammy. And she became your wife. It, it was crazy. Um, a teammate of mine, we called him Big Mike. He was offensive lineman. He was recruited by, you know, pretty much everybody in the country. So his dad took him down to a game. It was an unofficial visit. And I went, and one of my, and my best friend went also. And when I saw her walking down the steps, I looked at my best friend, and I said, yo, that's going to be my girl when I come here. <laughs> and it, I don't know if I was just talking, if I was serious or whatever. And when I went back on my recruiting trip, you know, um, it wasn't for my best friend. He really kind of encouraged me to talk to her or whatever. And I'm going to give you a quick funny story. We went out to eat, and I was eating some either lobster or shrimp. And I started choking on the shrimp like literally choking, about to die choking. And, and I'm saying to myself, I wasn't worried about dying. Only thing I was thinking was, I said, God, please don't let me embarrass myself in front of this girl. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't thinking about, oh, yo, somebody come get me, do the Heimlich maneuver on me. <laughs> so it was, it was, um, it worked out, it worked out for me. Trot had a, an outstanding career, Stephen F. Austin, as you might imagine, all-conference player. Um, but you suffered a knee injury there that was pretty bad, uh, to the point where when you came out, when you were getting ready to come out in the draft in 98, uh, all the scouting reports on, on Jeremiah were that he was a lights-out player, that he was a really, really good player. Uh, and forget about the level of competition. The Stephen F. Austin, UT, it doesn't matter. I mean, this guy can play with anybody. But th there was con genuine concern about your knee and would it hold up in the NFL. If it hadn't been for that, I mean, you wound up going in the third round, but you right. probably would have gone higher if it hadn't been for the knee injury. How concerned were you about what that meant for your NFL career? At the time when I was playing in college, I wasn't concerned because I was producing, but I went to the combine, and I remember the Dallas Cowboys trainers. Boo, yeah, right. The Dallas Cowboys trainers, they was, <laughs> they was checking my knee, and, you know, as a young kid, you know, you, you're trying to figure out what's going on. You're trying to read facial expressions. 
And another doctor come, hey, come here, check. And then they would, they would move it a little bit, and they would look at each other like. <laughs> so I'm looking at these guys like, you know, what's going on? And he looked at me and said, listen, you're going to have to have another knee surgery. Your knee's too loose. So I'm like, man, I was devastated. And I was coming out of the combine, I was the number one person moving up in the draft. So I was excited. And then once they got all the doctor reports, I was the number one person moving down in the draft. <laughs> you know, so I was kind of like on an emotional roller coaster coming out. But I, was, I felt very fortunate and blessed that the Eagles took a chance on me. I remember um, Eagles brought me in, and um, I was sitting in the training room, and Dr. DeLuca looked at me, longtime Eagles doctor. He looked at me and he said, he told Ray and uh, Ray Rose and Jeffrey Lewis, he said, listen, he could play uh, one year, he could play 10 years. Depends on how you take care of it. And, um, you know, Ray Rose took a chance on me, and um, I was very fortunate to get drafted here in Philadelphia. I remember this when Trot was getting ready to come out in the draft. I was reading all up about him because he's right. I mean, going into the draft, when they listed the guys who were the top at the position of the inside linebacker, he was right up at the top. I mean, everybody, even though he's from a small school, everybody knew who he was. And I was doing my research on him, and you're going to have to tell me if this is correct. Because when I read this, I, st I made the note then, and I still have it today, that part of, your, part of your rehab, even though you weren't playing for a stretch, but you were rehabbing like crazy, you were bench pressing 450 pounds, and you, squ you were squatting 740 pounds. Is, are those numbers correct? Because no. I wrote them down, and I thought, that can't be. <laughs> I was bench pressing 490 and squatting over 800. I'm wow. not bragging. I just want, he asked me, was the numbers correct? I said, it wasn't correct, you know? <laughs> wow. Because I, I, I wrote those numbers down and said, no, that can't be right. No, it can't be right. It was actually lifting more. Okay. Chopping now, all that wood when it was young. <laughs> it obviously worked. Now, um, Trot gets drafted in the third round, comes to the Eagles. Uh, and um, a little intimidated, I mean, coming from, Small town, small college, coming up to the big city to play in the NFL? No, I mean, I was ready. I felt like when I went to the draft and, you, you know, you start sizing yourself up to the, to the guys coming out of the big schools, the Auburns and, 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 and Nebraska's. And, and I'm like, when I went to the draft, I was 25 pounds heavier than every other linebacker there. Um, I was, I was the, the third strongest in the entire combine. I was the first, the, the strongest linebacker, but the third strongest out of everybody, defense alignment and offense alignment. So I felt like I, I could play at that level. But what happened to me, I lost my dad um, like three or four days before our first minicamp. So he lived <clears throat> to see you get drafted. He saw but me he get drafted before you yeah, came to camp. Yeah. And, you know, that was like, and I, that was the hardest thing. I've never been through anything harder than that. You know, to this day. So at that point, I really wanted to quit football, you know. But I promised my dad before he died that I was going to take care of my mom. And that's the only way I knew how I was playing football because I left school a year early. So I really didn't know, you know, so I had to stick it out, man. And I remember being in practice and just kind of like just being out of it, you know, just not really I, – I, my body was there, but mentally I wasn't there. And just going back to my room after practice – burying my head in, in the pillar, and just, like, crying for hours. It was one of the toughest things I ever had to experience. But I learned a lot. I, I grew up a lot. I became a man early on. And, um, you know, it was that time that, you know, if we all go through, thing, go through things that, you know, we have to – that forces you to grow up, force you to, to accept those challenges. 
And that was one thing I had to go through that made me a man. And once I came out of that, you know, um, you know, I was ready. That was never really made clear to those of us that were covering the team at the time because we were around the team. And those of you that remember that season, Rays last year, how awful it was. I mean, the team was largely non-competitive for much of the season, uh, just getting run over week after week. And here you had this guy who was the third-round draft pick. Everybody thought had a chance to be like a real big-time linebacker, and he's not playing. And it was, for those of us recovering the team, we would ask Ray about it, and Ray never gave us a very straight answer. And Emmett Thomas, the defensive coordinator, he sort of talked around it. So, well, we're bringing him along, we're bringing him along. But nobody ever kind of was straight about it. But the whole season goes by, and Jeremiah hardly got on the field other than some special team snaps. Um, so we didn't know about what him losing his dad until much later. But that explained a lot. But for you to be here and to see that season unfolding and not getting a chance to get on the field had to be really hard. That was, that was, that was the second hardest thing I have to, ever had to go through, from playing football, your whole, being, a, being a star on your team, and then getting to the NFL, and guys that are drafted after you are playing – and you're not playing. That was tough. It was humbling too, you know. And um, because in, in the NFL, once you get behind, it's hard to catch up, especially in training camp. And, and unfortunately for me, Emmett Thomas' defense was one of the most complex defense I ever had to play. And the middle linebacker spot was really tough because uh, you and the safety made all the checks. And to this day, I mean, I don't. First of all, we only had one person on defense that knew the defense. That was Mike. You guys remember Mike Zordich? Sure. He was the only person that knew the defense. Maybe, we, maybe Willie T. And I remember one game, Mike was getting old at the time, and they were trying to replace him with a, a younger safety. And we got out there, and nobody knew nothing. <laughs> so the next week, Mike Zordich was back in the game, you know. So that, that actually made me feel better because I really had a hard time picking the defense up. But – after that, I learned that, hey, you know, don't, none of the guys know the defense. So, you know, you can't expect a rookie to come in and learn the defense within three weeks. <laughs> I heard much the same thing from Brian Dawkins because he came in with you. And Dawk went through a lot of the same thing. And you, you'll never find a smarter player than Dawk. But even he said that was a really complex defense. But, but, okay, after that year, Ray's let go. Emmett goes. Andy Reid comes in with a whole new coaching staff. And part of the coaching staff is Jim Johnson, who's the defensive coordinator. And a linebacker coach named Ron Rivera, who's really a good coach, yeah. uh, has gone on and proven that, certainly with what he's done as a head coach in Carolina. But they come in, and they inherit Jeremiah, who at that point was really kind of an unknown because he hadn't had a chance to play much the previous year. So they're coming in, and they say, well, we're inheriting this guy, but we don't really know if he can play or not. He certainly didn't get on the field last year. So in that draft, they use a second-round draft pick on a middle linebacker. I don't know how many of you remember Barry Gardner from Northwestern. The Eagles draft him in the second round because they couldn't be sure that they had a player in trot. Well, when they got to camp and Jim Johnson got his first look at trot in the flesh, he said, why did we wait draft Barry Gardner? Uh, and it didn't, take, it didn't take very long before because Jeremiah was almost a perfect fit for the way Jim Johnson wants to play because the thing that you did best was attack the line of scrimmage. I mean... The term that you'll hear broadcasters use all the time is play downhill. Right. And that's the way Trot played in college. And in that first year, when he did get to play, that wasn't the system. But Jim Johnson, one of his geniuses, was he could recognize what a player's strength was, and he built the defense around the player's strengths. And he turned Trot into, <clears throat> a, into an attack-the-line-of-scrimmage linebacker 
And I mean, he got on the field and right away he made an impact. So I know Jim had a tremendous, tr much like Doc, I mean, Jim had a tremendous influence on the arc of your career. Oh, yeah, he was, um, I would say he's the number one person as far as coaches are concerned. Um, he had a unique ability to, like you said, to recognize each person's attribute and scheme his defense around that. So he wasn't like, oh, this is my scheme, this is where we're going to run it. Um, let me take the players that I have and build a scheme around it. Even, Dawg even though Dawkins had made one Pro Bowl before Jim Johnson came to the Eagles, when Jim came with his attacking style defense, he took Dawkins' game to a whole nother level right. because he used him everywhere. He was our best blitzer. He was our best open field tackler. He was our biggest hitter. And Jim just really used him. And he allowed me, because early on, I would play downhill, like you said, and teams would run play action against me. And Jim continued, he wanted me to continue to play my game. But so he just told the outside linebacker, listen, when Trotter goes downhill, you just cover for him until I got to the point where I could read the play actions and stuff like that. So he didn't take, take that away from me. He just built it around until I became old enough to see it. And, um, and I, I owe Jim a lot, man. I, I had a lot of respect for Jim. And um, you know, he's, one of, he's the greatest coach I ever played for. When you got and I, I, very quickly I wanted to say this. I don't know if you ever heard this, but when the Eagles drafted you uh, in 98, Bobby Beathard, who, by the way, just went in the Hall of Fame this year. Mm -hmm. yep. Bobby Beathard called the Eagles because Bobby was working for the Redskins then. And he said, he told them, congratulations, you just drafted the next Lawrence Taylor. Did you ever <laughs> hear that? I never heard that story. Yeah. I was at the draft this year with Dawkins, so it was good to see, see him there. Yeah, so that, that's pretty high praise right there. Now, once you got, once you got in, um, the team really kind of took off. In 2000, you have that big win right. over <clears throat> Dallas in the opener. Right. You make a pick and run it back for a touchdown. <laughs> you blow out the Cowboys. You go to the playoffs that year. And then it was just a steady progression yeah. until you finally get uh, your chance to go to the Super Bowl. What was, it, what was it like to be part of that team? Because year by year, you guys just kept getting closer and closer. It was, it was really tough early on. When and Andy's first year was tough, we had, like, one of the top defenses in the National Football League. I think we was ranked – in the top, like, number three. We led the league in takeaways on defense, and the offense led the league in giveaways. <laughs> so, I mean, you can imagine how frustrating that could be. I mean, we would talk as a defense, yo, we're going to have to score at least two times to have a chance to win. You remember, right? It was, oh, it was, it was I, bad. It was bad. absolutely true. And uh, what, wasn't Doug the quarterback? I, was gonna, I wasn't going to mention <laughs> Doug that. Doug Peterson was the quarterback. But the quarterback was Doug Peterson. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was tough. And they didn't play Donovan, Donovan a lot that year because the offensive line really wasn't that good. And I don't think they want to take a chance of him getting hurt. But it was a tough year. But Andy did a great job of just keeping everybody together. He would constantly come talk to the defense in our team meeting room and say, listen, just stay the course. Just keep playing. Don't give up. I'm going to right the ship. I'm going to get the offense going. And we trusted in him. And uh, that really helped us out when the head coach come in to let us know we're doing everything right. Just keep going. Be patient with us. We're going to get the offense turned around. And eventually did. And it started with Donovan, drafted him. He came in the next year and started for us, man. And, um, you know, we finally – I remember at one point the Giants had beat us like eight or nine right. straight times. And we finally got over that hump and beat those guys. And it was, I think it was that a was a primetime game up yep, there, as I recall, yep, on a late drive. Yep, yep. It was it – was, and it, we – that's when we felt like we was turning the corner. After the 2001 season was when um, you parted ways. Now, um, 
So they, they put the franchise tag on you, right. which is something nobody wants. I mean, no, no player wants to get the franchise tag. I mean, it's, it sounds good in theory because, okay, oh, we're going to pay you the average of the top five guys at your position. That sounds good, but it's only a one-year proposition. Right. And everybody, a player like that, you're looking for that long-term contract for the big money and some security. Franchise tag doesn't offer you that. That's what they put on trot, and immediately that caused problems and ultimately led to you having to leave the Eagles right. and you wound up going to the Redskins. Yeah, I was trying to forget about the Redskins, but <laughs> you keep bringing it up. <laughs> but, yeah, th that, was a, that was a tough time for me. And, um, you know, even when I was with the Redskins, I was always an Eagle at heart. You know, and it, and it was really tough. I've always felt like I was an Eagle at heart. You know, I felt like I had a special relationship with the Eagles fans. Um, I loved the, the defense. You know, it was, it was tailored for me, you know. And, um, you know, but I had to learn that, it, that there's two sides to the business. That's football and there's a business side, you know. And um, it kind of got – the negotiation kind of got ugly. And, you know, we don't need to go into all that. But, you know, it just – ultimately I went to Washington for two years. I was down there with Spurrier, so that was that was even uglier than the negotiations. The whole Spurrier thing is, and is such a weird chapter of of Redskin history. Was was Snyder's idea of going and bringing in Steve Spurrier, and and just the way everything went about business. Everything I've heard about that, it just sounded like it was a circus down there. It was. I mean, some some coaches are just great college coaches, but they can't transition to the NFL and. I remember being in practice one day, and I was standing beside Spurrier, and, we, and the quarterback threw like a check down. Check down is what a running back runs over the center, and he throws him the ball. So he pick, probably picked up maybe five yards. And Spurrier was like, man, I hate that. We need to go deeper. And I'm saying, coach, that's five yards on first down. So you're ahead of the chains. But he, he always wanted to get deep, 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 and – Ultimately, that was his demise. He didn't have any, any hot routes or anything like that, and teams knew exactly what we were going to do. And besides that, all he wanted to do was play golf. <laughs> I mean, he would cut practice short to make a tee time. You know? <laughs> what head coach does, he would ride around on the golf cart in practice. Well, that was – Yo, he was, he was a piece of work. Then. So you had one year under Spurrier. <laughs> so you had one year with Spurrier. Two years with Spurrier. Two years with Spurrier. Yeah. And then they make the change, and they bring, in, they bring back Joe Gibbs. Right. Which shocked everybody. Um, I mean, Joe Gibbs had had a tremendous career with the Redskins. I mean, he was already in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Joe Gibbs is already in the Hall of Fame for what he had done as the Redskins coach. And Dan Snyder somehow convinces him to come back to Washington and coach the team again, to leave his auto racing, his, his, his auto racing team, which, by the way, was, Joe Gibbs Racing was doing very well. They had won a couple NASCAR FedEx Cups, and that, that thing was really rolling. I still don't know other than just giving him a ton of money, how he convinced Joe Gibbs to come back to Washington. Uh, and he, you're on the team at that point. Yeah. But partway through the season, you wind up getting released. Well, I got released um, before the season started. And he had, no, he had no other option but to go get Joe because Spurrier just up and quit and went, went back to college. Right. And he, it's funny, right? He didn't even tell his staff that he was leaving. I was talking to one of the coaches. They said, "Try it." I found out on the news I didn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that had to be tough as a coach, you know, as an assistant coach to find out on the news that you fired, you know. But, um, yeah, Joe Gibbs comes in, and my first year with Washington, I blow my knee out. Right. Uh, my other knee. And um, so I come back the next year. I wasn't fully healthy. Had an okay season. 
So they was making changes. Obviously, when you're making a lot of money, you know, you start looking for ways to, 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 to slice your salary, and I was one of those slices. And, you know, ultimately, I, I came back to Philadelphia. You were 27 years old, mm-hmm. and you really, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, my career might be over. Yeah, because, you know, all of the, the, the issues I had with my knee coming out, and then I blow out the other knee. And as an athlete, tearing an ACL is one of the worst injuries you can have. I mean, you gotta train, you gotta learn how to walk again, you know. Um, so it was, I mean, it was, it was a tough moment for me, you know, just not knowing where my career was going to go at that time. And um, but I just continued to work out, and um, you know, I came back to Philly. Well, you reached out to Andy Reid. You right. reached out to the Eagles. You took the initiative and said, "If I'm going to come back, this is where I want to play." Yeah. And so you called Andy, and the, fa- and the famous story is he was on vacation when you called him. Uh, and I know things didn't end on the best of terms. How hesitant were you about picking up the phone and calling him and just saying, hey, let's let bygones be bygones? Well, Andy had reached out to me first when I blew my knee out that first year. I remember laying in the bed, and, you know, it was pretty tough. And uh, my wife said, you got to Andy, – Andy's on the phone. I'm like, Andy who? <laughs> yeah, Andy Reid. And um, he said, Trot, man, you know, I just want to call you and check on you, man. Um, you know, see how you're doing. And that really meant a lot for me. I think that kind of broke the ice. And um, so when I got released from the Redskins, one night I had a dream that I was playing with the Eagles. And I was playing on special teams. <laughs> yeah, special teams. Just imagine you, you, you're a two-time pro bowler. Right. And you have a dream you're playing on special teams. In other words, it's a demotion to go from being a pro bowler. And um, I called my agent, and they're like, yo, man, I had this dream. So he's like, listen, I can reach out to Andy. So my agent reached out to Andy, and, um, you know, we kind of put things behind us because at the time they had Mark Simino, and he was kind of having issues in the middle. And I told Andy I felt like, um, you know, I could help the defense. And um, I came back. When he came back, correct me if I'm wrong about this, um, but it was written at the time that you came back for the, either at or close to the veteran minimum. Uh, yeah, veteran minimum, yep. So here's a guy, two-time Pro Bowl player, coming back to where he started his career, agrees to come back for the veteran minimum, and, and they say, look, if you come back here, Simino's our middle linebacker. If you're going to come back, you're probably going to make the minimum and you're going to have to play special teams. And to this guy's credit, he wanted to play badly enough and he wanted to play in Philadelphia badly enough that he agreed to those terms. And then he came back, and in one of the very first games back, he played Atlanta, and you were killing it on special teams. Now, one of his first games back, he had six special teams tackles in one game. Now, that is that is rare. I was angry. That is rare. <laughs> <laughs> you remember when I said my dad and losing my dad was the hardest thing? Right. Can I rethink that? Because <laughs> coming back, man, playing on special teams, I'm telling you, that was one of the most humbling things that I ever had to go through. and um, But I knew I could still play. I knew eventually I was going to get the starting job. And uh, I just had to keep working and be patient. And um, <laughs> I remember in, after practice, right, so, so when you're fighting for a job, you're going 120 miles per hour on every drill. And I'm a veteran guy. I'm not like a young guy. So every time Mark Simino did a drill, I was right on his heels. Yo, he, he, I wanted him to know one slip up, yo, I'm in there. <laughs> so one day we decided to go live. 
and Andy Reid hardly ever go live. And so I was on the second team, and the second team normally goes against the starters. And I was literally out there trying to put people out of practice. <laughs> that was the day I, I hurt T.O. I put T.O. out of practice. <laughs> yeah, so T.O. came across the middle, and I caught him on a crossing route. And then when he's on the ground, you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> Yo, they gonna cut me. <laughs> and Andy came over. I could see like the grimace on his face, but he couldn't say anything because we was going live, you know. And his face was red. They call him Big Red, but he really got red. <laughs> and he was looking at To, looking at me, looking at To, <laughs> and I was just like, hey man. So I, my mentality was, if I put out enough starters. Eventually, you're going to put me on the field. And, and that's the way, that's the mentality that I took on special teams. Yo, somebody got to pay for me being out here running down on kickoff. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for, those of you, for those of you that remember how that season played out, um, the Eagles get off to a rip-roaring start, rattle off four or five wins. Then they go to Pittsburgh Ooh. and got smoked in Pittsburgh, if you remember, a really good Pittsburgh team. And, I, and got I, run over in the process. I owe Jerome Bennis a big stake also because he's the reason I got my starting job back. We went to Pittsburgh, and he rushed for like a, almost 200 yards, he right? Did. He did. <laughs> so uh, the next Monday, that's when I got the call. Hey, Trot, uh, <laughs> you're going back to the middle. They got run over that day, and he's quite right. The bus, the bus was rolling that oh, day. Man. And when it was all over with, and Simino was an okay player, but he, that, he was an okay player. But... The Eagles were, after that game, they were giving up an average of 172 yards per game on the ground. It's very hard to win in the NFL if you're giving up that kind of yards on the ground. Andy knew it. Jim Johnson knew it. And they came to the realization, hey, we've got we to make a change. So after that game, they put Trot back in the middle. And for the rest of that season, they, that yardage got cut more than in half. They went from 172 yards a game to 80 yards per game by just making a change at middle linebacker. And he came in, and for a guy that only didn't start starting until midseason, the guy wound up making a Pro Bowl <laughs> and helped the team get to the Super Bowl. I mean, you totally transformed that defense. And Brian Dawkins had a great quote after that. He said that we needed that leadership. Trot's voice was the voice that was missing. And then you came back, and you made the difference. Yeah, I, I, I just try to bring a different mentality to the game. I remember being in one of the meetings leading up to the Pittsburgh Steelers game. And what, what's the, the, the Pro Bowl tackle they had? Guard. Fanica, Alan Fanica. Alan Fanica. And he's up. I think he's been mentioning. He's been a finalist for the Finalist in, in Hall of Fame talks. And he was just out there killing guys, killing linebackers, defensive line. And I remember all the linebackers, like, oh, man, wow, look what this guy's doing. And I stood up in the meetings and was like, listen, I ain't trying to hear none of this talk y'all talking. This guy put his pants on just like we do. And if I get in the game, he getting his wig split. <laughs> That's what I said. He getting his wig split. And I remember getting in in cleanup time when the game was, was over. And for me, that was my Super Bowl. That was my opportunity to show these guys, you know, that I still had it. And I was trying to make a statement. And I remember hitting this guy so hard, his helmet flew up in the air. And he was like, you know, when the boxer get knocked out, knocked out and he's fumbling, for, looking for his mouthpiece. <laughs> That's what was, what was going on. That season builds up to the Eagles finally getting back to the NFC Championship game, which they had lost three years in a row, if you recall. They had lost to the Rams, 
and then they lost uh, to the, the Bucks, and then they lost to the Panthers. So now they're coming back to play a championship game for the fourth year in a row at the vet after a big snowfall against the Atlanta Falcons. What was the pressure that you guys felt like going into that game? Because everybody in the city was on the edge of their seat saying, oh, my God, they aren't going to get this close and fall short again, are they? Honestly, we didn't have any pressure. I mean, I, I know you would think, considering everything that happened in the past, we, we, we were never as focused for that game as any other game. And I remember Andy coming to me. Andy often come to me before the game and say, yo, we ready? That game – to the man, everyone was dialed in, and we knew there was no way we was going to lose that game. And um, that was one of the coldest games I ever played in. And I didn't feel that cold well until the, until the confetti was coming down. That's how focused we were, you know. So we knew we was going to win the game. One of the great pictures in the aftermath of that victory, and Trot's right, the confetti was falling, was um, – you hugging Jeff Lurie on the podium when the trophy was being presented. Um, remember that moment and what that felt to you, having been through what you had been through, been an eagle, gone away, thinking your career might be over, then coming back and having to fight your way back into the starting lineup, and then you finally have that moment where you're going to go to a Super Bowl? It, it was special, man. Um, not, not just for myself, just for the city of Philadelphia because, you know, I understood what it meant to finally get over that hump. You know, year after year, disappointing years. Because players, understand, players come and go. The fans are here, you know, through the thick and thin. And, you know, I understood what it meant to the fans just to get over that hump. And I remember driving home, was leaving the stadium, and just the fans running around in the streets, excited. I almost hit a few people. <laughs> but, but just to see the excitement on their faces. And um, even for a moment, even if for just for two weeks, we're in the Super Bowl. And um, obviously, we didn't close the deal, but that's why I was so excited about this year, just the fans being able to, you know, to get that monkey off their back and, and not have to deal with the Dallas fans, the Redskins fans, talking about championships, you know. So only thing they can say now is, well, you only got one. Well, you can't get two until you get one. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, Kevin, you, uh, you got some questions in the back there? Yep, I, I got a few questions. Thank you, Ray, and thank you, Trot. Uh, first question is from Christian from PCS, if Christian's in the house. Trot, who was the toughest running back to play against? Man, they're all tough. Um, they're, I mean, when you, get to the, when you get to that level, they're all tough. But the guy that was the toughest to scheme for was probably Marshall Falk. He was one of the toughest running backs to scheme for. And I put Westbrook in that category, too, because when I was in Washington, I remember all week long, Westbrook was the only guy we was talking about on defense because you couldn't match him up with a safety. You definitely couldn't match him up with a linebacker. So they would, they, Andy did a great job of moving him around, splitting him out. Um, those two guys are really, really tough because you can split them out. Their hands were just as good as receivers. And um, – so I would say Marshall Falk and Westbrook. What's the one thing you would change in the NFL back when you played and then, of course, now? Back when I played? Not much. I mean, we, you, were, you were still allowed to be very physical on defense. Um, you know, now I would say the quarterback rule, putting your body weight on the quarterback. I understand, you know, not hitting the guys in the head. That's a good rule. Not hitting, hitting low. But now you can't put your body on the quarterback. I don't I mean, how do, you, how do you run full speed and you only have like a small target 
and you're trying to run through the guy, and now you got to contort your body to try and not land on him. You know, that's, it was one defensive line towards ACL trying to contort his body like that. One of the Dolphins this year. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's a tough role, man. And um, I was watching the Giants game, and I don't – I didn't care who won, but they called a play on London Collins. Yeah. He was going for the ball, and there was incidental head contact, and he got a 15-yard penalty. That was one of the worst penalties I've seen also. So I think they're trying to do a good thing, but I think sometimes they go overboard with it. I think eventually with the quarterback, it'll kind of work his way out. But it's, it's tough as a defensive player. You know, it's very, very tough. And you know what? We just keep you know, making changes and trying to make adjustments to try to make it work. What you've got in the league right now, I really believe this. And look, I, lo I love the game of football, and I love pro football. I've been around it for half a century. Um, but they're in the process of really lousing it up because you've got a situation with the – and this really has a lot to do with the rules. You have a situation where the coaches don't understand the rule, the players don't understand the rule, and in many cases, the referees don't understand the rule. If you get them in a circle where they try and exp they're all talking a different language. So you're, and they're going to try and apply that to a game that's moving at the speed of light? Gee, what could go wrong? You know? And that's one of the things that, look, I understand, and, and Trot's 100% right, and I agree with him. I want to make the game as safe as it can possibly be. I do too. But you've got to go about it in a more common sense kind of way than what they're doing right now. And, and you, um, you know, you're still playing football. And it's like it, somebody, a superstar gets hurt, and they, they change the rule. You know, but you're still playing football. You're talking about guys in their mid-20s that are bigger, stronger, and faster than anybody in the country, and they're running full speed. It's football. It's, you're going to get injuries. I mean, I, tell, I, was, I was talking to someone earlier. I know kids get, more kids get hurt in P.E., <laughs> then, 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 you know, because I coach Little League. And, um, you know, we get more injuries in PE, man, than, than on the football field. But um, it's, it's, it's really becoming tough to watch with just with all these penalties and rule changes. Do you really hate the Cowboys? To the core. <laughs> <laughs> What's the nicest thing anyone ever said about you? From a football standpoint? Mm-hmm. One year I was at the Pro Bowl. Y'all remember we played Seattle on Monday night, the year Reggie White retired. We retired his jersey. We got beat 41-0, to zero, I think. 42, actually, 40. but who's counting? <laughs> Thanks. 42-0. to zero. That year I was at the Pro Bowl. I uh, was on the, on the bus heading over to the stadium for practice. And the quarterback was Matt, Matt Hasselback, right? Not Hasselback. Uh, for you guys? No, for Seattle. For Seattle, yeah, what? It was ha Hasselback. He said, Trot, man, you guys were down – 40-something to zero, and you were still out there lighting cats up. He said, we, we gained a lot of respect for you for that. You know? So that meant a lot. I was, the guys recognized I was still out there fighting. Yeah, that was an ugly night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what comes to mind when you think Philadelphia fan? Man, passionate. Passionate. And just they live and die with the team. You know? Last question. How would you like to be remembered? From a football standpoint, just as a guy that, that uh, you know, went to work every day, got his lunch pail, and, you know, he was hard-nosed, left it all on the field, and, um, you know, he played with heart and passion and desire, and, and um, a guy that wasn't selfish, 
you know, did what it took for the team, and um, that's pretty much it. I think you're all of that and then some. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Thanks for listening to the Thuzio Live and Unfiltered podcast with our guest, Jeremiah Trotter. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like information on how you can attend our live events or book our new virtual ones, visit www.thuzio.com. That's T-H-U-Z-I-O.com. Oh, and be sure to follow us on social media at Thuzio. Thuzio.